And this Sunday, this week, we are starting this new series on the book of Galatians. And I, I really encourage you, uh, and as we start this book of Galatians, this is one of the questions that Paul asked the church in Galatians. How quick you forget. And I encourage you as we go through Galatians in the next few weeks, it's just a small book. It's six chapters. I would encourage you through the week, okay, there's six chapters. Read a chapter every day. Read a chapter every day. Okay, I try and do it and walk with us and let me promise, I promise you the way you read and approach Galatians will change your mind. Not because of what I'm saying, but because you're reading the Word of God too. And so I encourage you to do that through the week. Challenge yourself. I don't know. Maybe I'll give a giveaway if you read the Bible. I don't know. I shouldn't be bribing you all to do that. Reading the Bible. Come on. But I encourage you to read through the book of Galatians every week. Focus on that and study it together as a church. Let's grow together to see what Paul has to say. And this morning, I want to start by just an introduction, a broad overview of this letter that Paul writes to the church in Galatia, the Galatian church, and point out some themes that we will explore as we go through this whole series. Now, one of the main aims and the, one of the main themes that you find repeated in this book of Galatians is the theme of freedom. Freedom. Paul talks about it several times in several different ways. And he talks about the freedom that this church, and he's approaching, please understand, all the letters are written to a church, but they have principles that we apply for us today. And so he's, a, he's talking to this church about the freedom they have in Christ, and he's talking to them, saying that to them several times, you have this freedom in Christ, and then he asks the questions, now why are you trying to go back into bondage? Why are you trying to go back into bondage? Do not let this freedom go. I mean, it doesn't make sense to us when you're freed from something, you have this freedom, and now you want to go back into bondage again. It doesn't make sense at all. And that's what Paul is asking the church. One of his main themes is, don't let this freedom go. Because this freedom is worth fighting for. It's worth preserving. It's worth even paying the ultimate price for. Freedom in Christ Jesus. So don't give it up so easily. Don't give it up so easily. And so what was happening there in the church of Galatians is there, was a, there were a bunch of people actually, false teachers. And you got to realize this, that false teachers and, and cults that you have uh, that come along, what they do is promise freedom, but it's more like that bait at the end of, a, at the end of that hook, you know. It's that bait, that freedom is that bait that's hiding the hook. And once they really have you, they promise you freedom, but all they get you is bondage again. Now, I teach that class at, at Sagu, and I teach them, how many of you remember the Jonestown, the whole idea of Jimmy Jones and everything else? I mean, it started with this great ideal, you know, freedom, free everything. And then they all drank the Kool-Aid. That's where we get that saying from, Right? It wasn't, I mean, yeah, we laugh about it, but that's exactly what a lot of false teaching and a lot of cults promise us freedom, but they end up in slavery or bondage in some form or the other. And that's what Paul is trying to say. Hey, quit giving up on that freedom. As you see this book, read this book. It's a, again, it's a small book, but you see that he is very 
passionate. And if I can say it's a fiery letter that Paul is writing to this church, a really fiery letter, and I don't have specific points, <coughs> excuse me, as such to point out today. But as we survey these letters, you know, I don't have like a three-point message or anything, but as we survey, just give a general overview of this letter that Paul writes, I, I trust that the Holy Spirit will prompt you and impress on your heart and God will speak to you what he or what you need to hear. Paul is writing to this church in Galatians. Now, Galatians is a church in Asia, in Asia Minor. If you know, if you read Acts, initially he is not allowed to go there. The Holy Spirit doesn't allow him to go there. But then there's some kind of sickness, Paul, again, and at the end, Paul ends up going there because he gets sick, and they take care of him. And anyway, it was predominantly a Gentile church, not a Jewish church, okay? So these are Gentile Christians, Paul, of course, being an apostle to the Gentiles. And so he's there. It's a church that he founded, and this letter he writes to them is not a peace be with you and a cool, soothing feel-good letter at all. Yes, he's loving, but he's kind of mad too. He's kind of upset too. Paul is writing to the church. He's writing to the church about the false teachers that have crept into the church, and he's mad with them. Mad at not the church, mad at these false teachers who he calls agitators. Agitators, and he's actually so mad with these agitators, he actually wishes that someone would go, they would castrate themselves. That's how mad he is. Okay, it sounds harsh, but that's how mad he really is. These guys are just no good. He's passionate, fiery, like I said. And you need to understand that tone as we read the book. That he is upset. Not with the church as much as with these agitators who are spreading the false gospel within within the church and he's defending the church that he has planted and he's defending it and I use the phrase with jealous love you're defending he's defending it with jealous love while really giving it to the false teachers one of the themes like I said theme that you see the most is freedom but it isn't the freedom to do whatever they want to do He's talking about freedom. Isn't, it isn't the freedom to do whatever he wants to do, but it teaches about the freedom. He teaches them about freedom in Christ because of the grace that God has poured out into their lives. It's the freedom that is not earned, but it is given to us by grace and grace alone. Amen. It's the freedom that they got. Not to serve themselves, but to walk in obedience to God. It's freedom from sin, freedom from the law, freedom from the bondage of things that held them down. It's the freedom to serve Christ. And he says, don't give up on that freedom now. Don't give up on that freedom. And part of this attack that he puts with the, to these false teachers, he attacks the whole idea that salvation is based on works too. Salvation is based on works too. Again, he's not mad at the church, but he is, if I can use it, he is forceful with his encouragement. Does it make sense? He's not like, oh, you can do it, you can do it. He's like, come on, you can do it, get up, pick yourself up. 
It's that kind of encouragement, not just, you know, there are two kinds. You know, you're like, okay, so sweet, and you, you know, you just pat, and you can do it. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, he's there. Come on, get on with it. Let's go. He realized that the church is actually caught in this middle ground, and they're actually caught, if you want to say, in the crossfire between Paul and these false teachers, and here he is encouraging them, come on, let's go. And you see this again, because he, why, how do we know, uh, know about this? Because he has faced the same problem at another place. So turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, and keep your hand in the chapter, we'll go through, I mean, in that book, we'll go through different um, verses. Why is he writing his la- this letter to them? Because he has faced the same kind of problem. And it happened actually to Paul in Jerusalem. And you find this in chapter 2 verse 4. And again, I encourage you to read this later. And he says, 2 verse 4, it says, This matter arose because, sorry, everybody there? This matter arose because some false teachers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves. But we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So he's experienced the same thing and he says this, this is the same thing that we experienced while we were in Jerusalem where these false teachers came in what did they want to do? They wanted to, uh, they were spying on the freedom we have. For what reason? To make us slaves again. But we did not give in. And so his encouragement to them is, hey, Galatians, do not give in. Do not give in. And you can, uh, you can imagine the emphatic tone that Paul has right, right here. We did not give in to these guys. These guys came in with their false doctrines, their false hope, their false gospel, false freedom that ultimately leads to bondage. But we did not give in. And now you guys do not give in to them too. Paul is pretty worked up here defending the freedom that we have in Christ. And you see this so plainly again in chapter 2 verse 11. He challenges Peter at this point too. Because Peter, again, if you read the story, Peter was in chapter 2. After that, Peter is actually enjoying fellowship with the Gentiles. And then some of the circumcised group, which is the Jews, come along. And then Peter starts to withdraw from one group and start going to the Jewish side. And then Paul gets up in verse 11. He says, when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Paul is not... Just like, okay, so sweet. No, he's going all out. Peter, you are trying to hold on to two things here. You've got to make a decision. You enjoyed the freedom in Christ. Now, why are you going back into bondage? And he told Peter about it. And now he's telling the church in Galatians the same exact thing. You have and you know the freedom in Christ. Why are you going back into bondage? And he stood there and he opposed. Like I said, he opposed Peter himself. Peter, again, like the Galatians, is caught between the two places. What do we do? Who do we listen to? And here he's challenging the Galatians like he challenged Peter too. Turn to chapter 5, verse 7. Chapter 5, verse 7. I have a lot to say. I'm sorry. (laughs) It was like 15, 20 pages that I wrote. But... 
Verse 7, this is interesting. Again, he's encouraging. Think about it. He's encouraging them and pushing them. He's not like soothing them, basically. He says this in verse 7. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? You were running a good race. The picture, of course, is an athlete. And if you've, we know what the track looks like. And you can think about this person who's running. He's, he's positioned to win the race. But then this person comes from the outside and cuts him off. And he stumbles and falls and doesn't finish the race. And that's the imagery he's using here again. You were running so good, Galatians. Now what? Who is coming and cutting you off in such a way that you're stumbling and falling from finishing the race? It's all about. The freedom that you enjoy. Why are you allowing someone to drag you back into bondage when Christ has given you real freedom? Real freedom. Come on, guys. Stand firm. Stand firm in the real freedom you have in Christ. Don't buy into the, what these false teachers are selling. Don't buy into what they are. And this is his passionate defense of freedom. So you see that aspect in Galatians. The second thing that you see in Galatians is Paul is also giving a strong, absolutely strong warning about leaving the faith as such. About leaving the faith. That's where the story that I shared right in the beginning, beginning comes. Chapter 1 verse 6. Chapter 1 verse 6. How quickly we forget. And he says, I am astonished. That you so are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. That's freedom again. To live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And so you see here while he's defending the freedom we have in Christ against these false teachers. He's also going to warn them about what it is from leaving or what's causing them to leave the true gospel. And here he's saying the same thing. How quickly you forget the real gospel that I preach to you. Because he was the one who founded the church. And it's kind of interesting. Those next few verses just stick right there. He says, I'm astonished. Now realize, Paul planted this church. He's gone away. Okay, and now he's writing them the letter. I'm astonished that you so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Verse 7, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But, and then this is his part here. But even if we are an angel of heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you... Let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And the Greek there is absolutely, like he said, that's the worst thing ever possible. If someone, even me, he says, if I come back to you and preach to you a different gospel or an angel comes and preaches, comes, opens the heavens and preaches to you a different gospel other than what you have already learned, let them be cursed. Again, that doesn't sound like a real sweet letter to them, right? But he's challenging them. For us today, I realize that all of us sitting here have had the privilege to hear the true, hear and respond to the true gospel. That God sent 
His son Jesus, who died on a cross for our sins, but was raised from the dead on the third day in victory. And when we place our trust in him, our faith in him, and his grace working in our lives through the cross, that's what saves us. That's it. That's the gospel. What God did for us through his son Jesus on the cross, and when we put our faith in that work done by Christ, that is salvation, and that is the gospel of Christ. Let no one ever, let me warn you, let no one ever add to that gospel or take away from it. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the only thing that saves us. It is not what we do that saves us. It's what Christ did on the cross that saves us. That's the gospel. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to deserve it either. That's the gospel. That's the grace of God. When I, it says what? Believe in my heart and confess with my mouth. That's when I am saved. That's the gospel. The real gospel, nothing less, anything other than that is false. And so he warns them and like I've, I need to warn you today and you need to warn yourselves and everybody around you. Just because two people show up at your door dressed really pretty and handsome and share with you a gospel and it doesn't align with the gospel I just talked about. That Jesus died on the cross and when we confess and believe, not confess, to believe, confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. If they preach anything other than that, if you can watch TV and now on TV you have everything. Online you have everything. They dress fancy, they speak fancy, and they say all the things that make you feel good. But if it does not line up with the basic principle of the gospel, it's time for you to turn that TV off, slam the door, and walk the other way. That's it. That's what he's warning them about. There is only one gospel, the real gospel. Just because it's dressed up does not mean it's right. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, this is such a burden, real burden for, for me, I think as a pastor too, because there is so much junk out there. It really, there is so much, and they all say things that are, wow. But look, be careful, study like the Bereans did. So you know and you're not led astray by the false gospels that they have. Read the word, study the word, don't get caught up with these people who sell you something that is not in line with the scriptures, that is not lined up with the Bible, what is not even said in the Bible. Again, church, there is so much out there, too, too many people, and let me just say this, this is just a good way to process things, just a basic way. Too many people have a message, and these are people who are really famous on TV or whatever. Too many people have a message and then use the Bible to say what they wanted to say to support their message. And these are well-meaning people too. But they have a message and then they use the Bible to support what they have to say. Rather than allowing the Bible to say and let the Bible be the message, church. That's it. Let the Bible be the message and let's use other illustrations to show that the Bible, what the Bible says is right and true. That's the, that's the true gospel. Very often, and you, they read it out of context and they, you know, they don't read. It's like the example I give a lot of my students is this. When 
Paul tells Timothy, hey, bring me my coat. I've heard sermons, I've heard people spiritualize the whole coat. I don't know if I've shared this here, but spiritualize the whole idea of Paul telling Timothy to get him coat because then we use, we go, we jump to Elisha and Elijah. You know the story when Elijah's taken up, what happens to that mantle or the coat falls down and you know, and we put them, no, Paul is in prison in Rome, it's cold, he wants a coat, that's it. Don't over-spiritualize everything and don't fall into the trap just because it sounds so good, it's right. Read the Bible. Let the Bible be the message. Don't try and put too much mystery into the Bible and read into the Bible a little too much. That it's not sin. That's the false gospel. That's why it's a, it's a gospel that's built on sand. And when the forces of nature come against it, they fall and crash. That's why we have so many people leaving the church. Because we've taught them all this other fluff as such. Rather than the real word of God. Let the Bible speak. Let the Bible be the message just because you spiritualize everything doesn't make it right and Paul warns them about that the third thing Paul warns them about actually that you see another theme is he is he he emphasizes the importance of grace or the work of grace in a believer's life I love this I love that part with Paul I love this chapter uh, in Paul chapter uh, Galatians chapter 2 turn with me to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16, if you don't, uh, if you like to underline your Bible, highlight your Bible, this is, a, this is something that you need to, you need to memorize this, really. Verse 16, chapter 2. Paul is emphasizing the importance, the centrality of grace to a believer's life. And he says this, know that a person is not justified by works of the Lord but by faith in Jesus Christ you need to say that to yourself I am not justified by the works I do or the works of the law but am justified by faith in Jesus Christ that's it we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, not on the works of the law. Please memorize this concept that there is nothing you can do to deserve salvation except put your faith in his son, Jesus Christ. We are not declared righteous by the works of the law. The reason I say this is important because we will always have people who sound so holy, sound so good and pious and they tell you and they sell you something that is based on works where you've got to work to earn. Actually not, let me put it this way. You have to work and this is in churches we do this. We say we've got to work to, you know, we have, we've reserved our place but we've got to earn our play. I mean, we've got to, what do I say? What's the word I'm trying to look for? We've got to, you know, to keep it there, to reserve. It's already reserved there, but we've got to keep, uh, to secure it and keep it there. So now we've got to work. That's not what it says at all. Salvation is what? By faith alone. Not by faith in Christ and then reading my Bible. I know that sounds scandalous. But by faith alone. The reading the Bible is a good thing that happens because of salvation. To maintain my position in heaven, I've got to come to church, I've got to tithe, I've got to... That's not what it's talking about. That is not going to... This, what's the word? It's not going to disqualify you from going to heaven. 
The only qualification you need to go to heaven is faith in Jesus Christ. Everything else that is good flows from that salvation that we have received. Yes, there are good things. Those are things we need to do. But don't ever tell someone you've got to do this so that your place is secure in heaven now. Yes, you've received Christ, but now you've got to do this. Read 10 chapters every day, otherwise you're not going to make it. That's not the gospel. That's where grace comes in. Grace fills when we can't make it on our own. Grace comes in. Grace steps in. And Paul emphasizes the importance of grace. It's not by works, but by faith. And that's what grace is all about. That's what grace is all about. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Not my works. He washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Understand, faith is, salvation is faith in Christ. And that's just through the grace of God. You don't have to believe that and add something else to that. Please understand, there is no room for works in salvation, even though your works are so holy and pious and so helping everybody else. There is no room for that in salvation. And this theme is like, keeps on. And please understand that this whole, that whole theme that salvation is not by works is the whole reason Martin Luther in 1517 split from the Catholic Church and the whole Protestant movement was born because he was tired of works. And he said, salvation is by faith. And if you read uh, three, uh, verse 11, chapter 3, verse 11, it says, and this is the verse that got to him, the righteous will live by faith. That's it. And that transformed the whole reformation. Hinged around that truth. The salvation. The righteous will live by faith. Nothing about the law or works. And so you see that aspect. He's emphasized on the grace working in our lives. Another theme that we see here is. And he spends a considerable portion in chapter 3. Is on the purpose of the law. What was the purpose of the law? Now, please understand, these false teachers were adding to the gospel something that the Jews, there was a Jewish influence to these false teachers, salvation and something else in the law that you had to do to make it. And so he's addressing that aspect there. And one of the things he talks about in chapter 3 is, you know, the purpose of the law. Turn with me to chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, 23 and 24. It's kind of interesting, the word and the Greek, the use there is really interesting. Verse 23, it says, before the coming of this faith, he's talking about what he speaks about. We were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. What did the law do? The law was our guardian. The word there is actually uh, signifies tutor more than anything else. Now this tutor is actually the guy who was responsible. If you had, if there was a person, the tutor was most probably a slave. And he was responsible for the education of the kids as they came up. And one of his responsibilities was to discipline 
discipline the kids too. Discipline the kids. And the purpose of the law is the same thing that he's drawing this comparison here. They had, that you had this person who was in charge of these kids till the kids reached a level of maturity where they could function in society. And that would not happen. That would not happen. And there was the law that was there that kept them down. And the purpose of the law is this, that he says this, the purpose of the law was to discipline that kid. It was to discipline the children of Israel. To discipline them, to push them down, to literally break them down, bow them down, beat them down, till they realize that they cannot do it on their own. And that's when Jesus came in. Faith in him picks them up. That was the purpose of the law there. The purpose of the law to show that they couldn't do it. The Israelites and the Pharisees thought that the solution to getting out of all this is to obey the law. That wasn't that. The whole idea of the law is so that you will cry out in desperation, I cannot do this on my own. That's when you see the necessity of the Savior. The law was never meant to give you. It was never meant to be a means to salvation. It was a means to the Savior, not salvation in itself. So understanding talks about it in chapter 3. I'm rushing through there. But the purpose of the law was not to give you freedom. But the purpose is to hold you down till Christ comes and gives you real freedom. And so in chapter 3 he talks about that and a little more in chapter 4. And let me finish with this real quick. The fifth theme that you see there. That freedom. Coming back to freedom. Freedom is never meant, and this is the practical part you see in chapter 5, towards the end of chapter 5, verse 13 onwards. If you read chapter 5, verse 13, it talks about freedom. Freedom is not freedom to do whatever you want to do. It's not about, this is the practical application that he has towards the end. And it's important for us to understand, because in today's world, freedom thinks, means one thing. Freedom means, man, I'm but that's not what he's talking about here. Galatians, do not abuse the freedom you have found in Christ. That's what he says in chapter 5, the last part. Don't allow freedom, the freedom you have to follow your own after your own, or don't use your freedom to follow your own desires. No, the freedom is given to you to serve Christ and to follow him. And that's the amazing thing about grace. And you need to understand this. Grace, yes, gives us we have freedom from sin, freedom from guilt, freedom from, you know, whatever condemnation and freedom from all these chains that are bound us. But realize that grace is freedom from yourself. Freedom from your own desires. Freedom till, listen, you will never understand the grace of God till you come to the end of yourself. And that's what grace really does. Helps us come to the end of ourselves. And then we realize all I have is God. I have nothing good in me anymore. Understand, that's the freedom. He gives you freedom from your own self. It's when I realize I'm not here just to make myself and serve myself and everything else. That's when I understand what freedom really is. Freedom from that desire that drives you just to satisfy your own self. Verse 13. I don't know about you, but it gets tiring when you try to live just for yourself. Verse 13, and I'll close with a few verses right here. Verse 13, chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, what? Serve 
one another humbly in love. We focus so much on the freedom we have from sin, freedom from guilt, freedom from all these bondages. But please realize the purpose of freedom is what? To serve others, one another humbly in love. Please don't use your freedom to do your own thing. Things that satisfy your own, and he uses the word flesh. But use your freedom to serve one another. The freedom you have got in Christ is not just for you. It's so that you serve one another. And then, of course, he talks about the, I mean, the really amazing part right there. But the fruit, he contrasts. It's this contrast, this balance right there. You know, the flesh versus the spirit. And he says, hey, if you live by the spirit, verse 25, let us keep in step with the spirit. It's an absolutely amazing chapter which we'll get through. And then he says this, and we know the passage, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, right? And then we stop there very often, you know, and so on because we don't want to memorize the rest of the verse. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what's the last one? Self-control. When you're not satisfying your own self, that's called self-control. That's how we live by the Spirit. Don't abuse the freedom we have got, the freedom you have been given to do your own thing, to follow the desires of the flesh. Rather, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's just, like I said, there's so much out there in this book, and I'm excited to just go through it. And I challenge you once again, read through this book once a week. Read it. It doesn't, I, I think I read the whole thing in 20 minutes. If you sit together one time, you'll read the whole book in 20 minutes. But read this book. Read this book through the week. I encourage you because we will grow together as a church and I walk with the Lord. Look for these themes that he's talking about. Freedom. The freedom we have in Christ. Don't add anything. Don't uh, take away anything from the gospel of Christ. Don't be led astray by these people who paint a great picture and spiritualize everything so that it sounds good and we just take it in because it sounds good. But allow the word to speak and be the message itself. Look for ways that Paul talks about here. He says, talks about freedom and the way he talks about grace and how we are justified by faith and faith alone. Don't allow anyone to put you under bondage by telling you the law you got to follow the law, and there are our own church Christian laws. And now again, not talking about the freedom to do whatever you want to. But don't let them put you in bondage and guilt trip you into doing something else other than just putting your faith in Christ. That's the requirement. Everything else flows from our relationship with him. Bow your heads with me at this time. Lord, we thank you. We thank you once again, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, for this letter that you wrote, that you inspired Paul to write. Thank you, God, that real freedom is found in you and you alone. Real freedom comes from Christ, Christ alone. The freedom is given to us so that we walk in obedience to his word. We are free 
from the bondages of the enemy that pulls us away and free to serve Christ. We are free from the the bondage of living for ourselves to live for Christ and to live for others. To serve others. Don't turn to false gospels that promise so much but all they do in the end is slavery at the end. God, I pray, God, that as we go from here, Lord, even as we've heard just this, as we study, God, this, this word, God, that you have inspired, that is God breathed, God, and we studied this letter together as a church, Lord, you will take us. Give us, enlighten us, give us a deeper understanding of who you are through Paul's passion, Lord, that we will hold passionately to the truth too, God. Challenge us, oh God, challenge our hearts. Challenge us, Lord. I pray, oh God, that we will be people who live by the Spirit of God. Walk in step with the Spirit of God. The fruit of the Spirit will be clear and evident in our lives. Yes, God, I pray you set our hearts, God, steadfast on you once again. Set our minds steadfastly on you. May your truth, God, may your word really be that lamp, God, unto our feet, that light that shines the path ahead of us. Teach us to rely on you. Rely on your word. To trust in you. To put our faith in you once again, Lord. Be our all in all, God. Jesus, we worship you. Let's stand to our feet and worship God.